so much for just this morning, how we've been able to lift your name on high. We've been able to just once again be reminded how incredibly wonderful you are and how much you love us, God. We pray now as we look into your word that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us, teach us, convict us, encourage us, all these things, God, so that we can be um, on disciples for you that are disciples that we are on mission and we are, are loving you and loving others into your kingdom. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Here's what I want you to do. I want to see if you can notice a common thread throughout these statements I'm going to mention right here. Someone's excited. Um, com- common thread. Okay, here we go. Ready? My car is really getting old. I wish I could afford one just like my neighbor. Or, I feel so plain. I wish I had her looks. Or, look at how good he is at his job. I wish I had his abilities and his talents to do this job. Or, I feel so alone and misunderstood in this marriage. I long to have a marriage like theirs. Or have you seen how strong their walk is with the, with the Lord? Their walk with the Lord seems so strong. Their walk with God, it's, it's amazing. I wish and I long for a relationship with God like they have. Did you catch the common theme throughout that at all? They all have to do with the condition known as coveting. Coveting. Now, number one on your notes, if you want to follow along and the little paper uh, to keep you, keep you dialed in with me, number one is coveting. Here's what coveting is. Coveting is the longing for something that belongs to somebody else, simply put. Obviously, we're going to dive a little more into that, though. Coveting is longing for something that belongs to someone else. At the heart of coveting is comparing. That's what's at the very heart of it, comparing what we have to what others have and wishing we had it. Anybody ever been there before? <laughs> yeah, never. Oh, we're going to do lying next week then. Um, okay, so this morning we are wrapping up our study in the Ten Commandments, okay? We've come to the final commandment and really, no doubt, probably the most difficult commandment to obey is commandment number 10. Exodus twenty seventeen says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet his male servants, his female servants, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. Now, there's nothing wrong with desiring to have things that are like I mentioned above, to have a great marriage, to have a nice house. There's nothing wrong with the desire for those things. This commandment is not prohibiting having desires for better circumstances or having desires for nice things. That's not what this commandment is talking about. Number two on your notes, what this speaking to is the desire to desire these things in the wrong way. Okay, seeing, seeing that a change in our situations or the conditions that, we ha- that we're in as a solution to our lack of contentment. If only I had what they had, I'd be so much happier. If only I had that, what they have, I would be more content. Like the other nine commandments before this commandment, this commandment regarding coveting, at its core, what it really does, it directly addresses the condition of what have we been talking about? Our heart. 
It addresses the condition of our heart. Actually, what it does, this commandment addresses the very deepest desire of our heart. Number three on your notes, our desire for contentment. To be completely satisfied with who we are and what we have. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what this commandment is about. God isn't displeased with us when we desire things that will bring us enjoyment. He doesn't say, no, that's going to make you happy. I don't want you to have that. I want you to only be happy in me. That's not what he's saying at all. Yet what he wants us to believe is that only he can provide us with what we need in order to be truly content, to really not get caught up in this, this whole lie that, en- that anything in this world that the world has to offer can satisfy our deepest longing for contentment. See what he's trying, God's trying to protect us from? Thinking that there's anything besides him that can give us this true, lasting contentment, because they won't. C.S. Lewis, many of you have heard this, um, this quote before. He really encapsulates it this way when he famously says this. He says, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. If I have that, that'll make me happy. That will make me content. He said, No like a child, just willing to play in the mud pies. God has so much more for us. Bottom line, number four in your notes. Bottom line is that contentment begins with developing a heart that believes that Jesus is enough. I know that can sound a bit trite, especially in church. We hear that kind of thing all the time. But really, that's the bottom line. Contentment happens when we have a heart that truly begins to develop this whole thought and knowing that Jesus is enough. He's totally enough. The Apostle Paul, and he expressed this truth when he wrote these famous words, when he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, what this means is that what truly liberates us, what really truly sets us free from the trap of coveting or constantly comparing what other people have is, only, is understanding that only in an intimate relationship with Jesus will I all, that, he, that he will always be enough. Only as we just get to know him more and deeper and deeper, as, he, as God totally shaves off the rough edges of our lives and we become more and more like Jesus and more in love with Jesus, that's where the contentment come from, comes from. Unless we think that this isn't a big deal, people would say, ah, that's not a big deal covering some of those other ones, Rob, that we covered. Those were biggies. That murder one, that was huge. That was a big one. That, that adultery thing, that, that was big. Coveting can't be that bad because you notice we don't see coveting, do we? You don't see someone coveting. Well, unless they're like drooling at something they're looking at. But we don't usually see that coveting. But look at the list. Look at this list that it is put with that the Apostle Paul talks about when he's talking about these people who have completely rejected God. Look at this list that it is included with. And since they did, in Romans chapter 1, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... 
God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of, here we go, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. What a list! That is a heavy and harsh list. And coveting is right in there. It's right in there with what it means to be someone who does not get what it means to have a relationship with God at all. Most importantly, this commandment actually, in a a really unique way, points back to the very first commandment. Remember the very first commandment? To not have any other gods before God. Remember? It's really the commandment to avoid idolatry, idolatry. Idolatry. That's what he's saying here. To allow, what he's saying is to allow anything to compare or rival God for preeminence or supremacy in our life. You see, at the very root of coveting is idolatry. It's at the very root. Ask yourself this question, for example. What is that one thing that you feel like you need in order to be truly content? What is that one thing? And if it came to your mind, if you can think of that one thing, and if it's anything other than more of Jesus, you're an idolater. That's harsh, isn't it? I'm an idolater. If there's anything that I feel like I need, if I see anything out there that I feel like I need more than more of, other than more of Jesus... I'm an idolater. I, I, I broke number one right there. So you see how this all works? It all goes back together. It all has to do with our, with our heart. Number five on your notes, that with the sin of coveting, actually what it does is it makes a God of our desires. It makes a God of our desires because we are longing for something other than God. It makes a small g... God of our desires when we, are long, when we long for anything other than the big G, God, to provide contentment. And really, this is what God longs for. I wish I knew this when I was younger, when I was dealing with so much self-esteem issues that I still need to deal with as I deal with my self-esteem issues, realizing that the one thing that God wants me to th- know about him, one of the most powerful things he wants me to know is that he longs to be the sole provider of my contentment. Not what I don't have. Not what I, la- not what I feel like I lack. Or not what I compare, when I compare myself to other people, I go, whoa, <laughs> that, that hurts. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if it was like that easy, a knee-jerk reaction to no matter what situation we found ourselves to be able to say, God, you're enough. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because I know that's not where I live. That's not the world I live in. I struggle with that. But this is God's desire for us. Now, there's more. There's more to how the sin of coveting deeply impacts our lives. Number, number six on your notes. When we covet or long for something that someone else has, we open ourselves up to harmful and destructive desires. 
We open this box. We open really Pandora's box of these harmful and destructive desires that can just really begin to take over our lives. Look what Timothy said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 when, he, when he's talking specifically about wealth and possessions. Look what he says. But to those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plague people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So how does the love of money, how does the love of money relate to coveting? You see, when we long for wealth or when we long for possessions that, others, that other people have or other people seem to enjoy as a mean of, means of finding contentment, we're heading down a very, very dangerous road, the Bible says. And here's, a, here's an example, not a biblical one, but for some of you, it, you probably feel like it is biblical, is the character Gollum in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We all know this, char- this character, um, Gollum from the Lord of the Rings. Remember him? He originally, he originally was a hobbit named who? Smeagol, okay? Originally, he was just a regular hobbit, yet what happened? Remember, he became morbidly transformed by the power of this ring. Remember how just gross he looked and his eyes and his sliminess, little bits of hair? From the very first time that he laid his eyes on that ring, what did he do? He coveted it. I got to have that. His relative had it. I got to have that. That will make me content. And what did he do to get it? Yeah, he killed him. He killed his own relative. He strangled him in order to get it. Yet we, saw, we see in the movie that throughout the years, the power of the ring, or as he referred to it as what? Ooh, the whisper. <laughs> we got some fans here. Uh, we saw that not only did it extend his life, but it twisted his mind and it twisted his body. He eventually lost all of his relationships. Remember, he became this secluded, slimy, fish-eating, weird thing in a cave. That's what happened to him. And remember, and then after losing the, real, the ring to Bilbo Baggins, he continued to be tormented by his insatiable desire for it. He had to have it. The book says this interesting thing, and one of the books says this, that he loved and hated the ring just as he loved and hated himself. That's what coveting did. And there's some great parallels to what that does to us as well. Uh, My old pastor, Mark Mitchell, he writes this. He says, this commandment is last, not because it is least, but because it is the root of everything else. Why do people steal? Why do people murder? Why do people commit adultery? It's because desire has been twisted out of control. This is where sin starts. Twisting those desires that are initially okay, but then taking them further and twisting them and wreaking havoc with them. James again talks about how we fall into destructive sin. He says this, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? Desire. 
Once again, desire is not wrong, but once we get enticed, then he says it can go further. Then when desire, with his the desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When desire goes out to where it can go in these crazy, twisted places, it gives birth to sin as fully grown brings forth death. Powerful stuff. Powerful things that the God is, who loves us so much wants to guard us with. See, first we desire something that someone else has. And it might be something that's good, something that's fine. Yet we soon begin to be obsessed with having it. Before we know it, we can be breaking any one of the Ten Commandments, any one of them, dishonoring God, dishonoring parents, our spouse, stealing, lying, committing adultery. You see how it's all intertwined together? And I think one thing that's, that really this just, just struck me just now is I think one of the most deceptive things that the enemy does to us is we can be so far down that road of deception and we don't even know it. We have absolutely no idea that our heart is hardening. No idea that our desires have been twisted and we think, no, I'm, I'm still a good person. I'm not bad. I haven't done anything bad. That the enemy who hates us and lies viciously to us is getting us to just stay on that ride and we slow. And then we wonder, why, is, why, do, I, where, why do I not have contentment? Where's the joy in the Lord? Because we're believing this. We are believing this lie. All right. Another way that this sin of coveting deeply impacts our lives. Number seven on your notes. It keeps us from making God our ultimate treasure. It keeps us from making God our ultimate treasure. Let me explain this kind of using, uh, again, an example using, let's use the coveting wealth and possession. Um, there's a story one day where Jesus is, is teaching to a crowd, and a, a man speaks up and says, uh, Jesus, will you please settle this, this dispute I'm having with my brother over my inheritance? Will you please help out? Will you help judge over this? Well, we hear, see that Jesus says, I'm, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to be a part of that um, matter. Uh, but Jesus goes on. Then right after that, he goes on to tell a story that probably really went to the heart of what this man's request does. Look in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says this, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced, plent produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he says, ah, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain for and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. A few verses later, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, the issue in this story here, the issue isn't that this man's fields prospered. That's, that's, not, that's not the problem here. The issue is this man fails to use what he has in a way that shows that he treasures God more than what he has. 
He stalls all for me, me, me. God has ceased to be his ultimate treasure. Instead of expressing with his riches that God is his ultimate treasure by somehow using his wealth for kingdom purposes, this guy takes his wealth and, and his desires are completely 100% directed towards himself by means of self-indulgence. It's all about, hey, I earned it, I made it. It's all about how I can use it. You see, treasuring God above all else or being rich towards God, what Jesus is talking about here, means treating who we are and what we have as though it was made for God and his purposes. Everything I have, everything I've been given, again, everything who I am is for God and for his purposes. And that's, my, and that's what I'm, I'm here to find out. How do you want me to do that then, God? How do you want me to do that? Number eight on your notes, being rich towards God is the opposite of acting as life consists in the abundance of possessions and not in the abundance that comes from knowing God. How often really do we think of our wealth in terms of our relationship with God? I mean, how often do I think about it? How often do I think about how rich? When, I, when someone says, well, talk about how rich we are. Oh, yeah, well, we are the 1% in the world. You know, the people live on a dollar a day, all that kind of stuff. And we think of it in that terms. Or we think of, oh, I live in this neighborhood because I can never afford to live in that neighborhood. So, I, you know, that's, we, all, we think of it that way, which is okay. But how often do we think of being rich? How often do you think of being wealthy? How often do we think of being extremely well-off in terms of how we know God and understand who he is and how I see myself through his eyes and not my own. That's what Jesus is saying here. It doesn't consist of what you've got. It's about how you see what you've got as being all about God's. And how do I then use it for his glory and for his purposes? James, tell, well, let me go, let me, before that, let's talk a little bit about what that means, being rich towards God's. It means that earthly, using my earthly possessions shows how much I value God. Think of it that way, how I use my money. And I've been thinking about this lately too. I've been thinking, I like to work at coffee shops. That's my favorite place to work. My office so often just feels so quiet and sterile. I have a beautiful office. I love it. It's been remodeled and made over and everything. It's all great. But I like to be at a coffee shop and I like because I like to run into people in the community as well. But I've come to realize that I can't afford to work at coffee shops. I mean, I can afford to work at coffee, but I can't afford to get anything when I'm at that coffee shop very often. And now that's not a big deal, but in some ways what God has done in my heart has made, helped me realize, you know what? I could easily say, you know what? It's just a cup of coffee. I'm just here to get a cup of coffee. I want to uh, whatever. But then I realized, wait, is this how I should be using the funds that God gave me? And I know this could be really crazy. We get nitpicking a little bit. I'm not talking, I'm not, let's get 40,000 feet above this whole idea and look at the whole idea that how am I using my funds, even when it comes to buying a cup of coffee, in a way of realizing these aren't, these aren't my funds. These are God's funds. 
And not being crazy about that, meaning I have to go live a hermit's life and I can never drink a cup of coffee anymore. You see me at Beach Monkey drinking coffee, don't get on my case. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying here? It's at least being aware, not feeling guilty, but at least being aware that we're reminded of things that how am I using my home? How am I using my car? How am I using the gifts and the talents that God has given me in a way that truly honors him? Am I thinking that way? That's what he's trying to do here. It means acknowledging that everything we have is from his hand. When we covet, we are believing the lie that God not only is unable, but unwilling to meet our needs. When I feel like I have to, like, I, if I just had that, what we're saying is, God, yeah, I know you, uh, yeah, what, it's putting, uh, putting him at arm's length. Yet the truth is everything we have, including our faith, including everything that honors God, is to be seen as a gift from God. Look at, back to James again. James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This whole, this whole Father of lights thing, it, it essentially means that God is everything that darkness is not. Everything that is not darkness, in the Bible, darkness symbolizes, it symbolizes evil and sin and corruption. But we read in 1 John where it says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is what? Light. He is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. Therefore, what we're saying here is what, what represents light is what's, what's good. Light represents goodness, honesty, purity, wisdom, glory, and love. Everything that God is. The father of lights is who he is, and he gives us such good things. Number nine on your notes, God's desire, God desires us to find our greatest satisfaction in him alone as we make him our ultimate treasure. We are to, he wants us, that's his desire for us to find our greatest satisfaction in him and him alone as we make him our treasure though, as we treasure him. I love this verse in Psalms. Listen to this verse in Psalms, Psalm 73. He says this, you guide me with your counsel. Afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a great verse to put up on the mirror in the morning, huh? God, you're my portion. You're everything I need, even to face this crazy marriage, this crazy job, this crazy life. You're my portion. That's not only how we get through the day, but that's how we are content and find joy and love our day. We can wake up in the morning and we can say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I'll be glad in it. Not because it's my day off. <laughs> because he has given so much. He's been so abundantly good to us. So really what we're seeing here 
is that the Ten Commandments, as one author I read this week puts it this way, I love it, he says, it starts, the Ten Commandments start with, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. That's how it starts. And it ends with, and I'm all you need. I'm your God, don't have other gods before me. I'm all you need. You need nothing else. I came across him just top of my head too. Kramer popped into, I was reading a book just the other day, and he was talking about how so often we look to other things and other places to heal us from our hurts. And the verse, in, I think it's 2 Peter, that says, says, we have been giving everything. God has given us everything we need for godliness. He's given us everything we need to live a healthy life in Christ and from him. He's given, not that doesn't mean we don't, that doesn't mean you might not need to go to therapy. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you might need some other thing. But he's saying the reality is we've, he's given us all we need. The, the resources are there in him. So how do we obey this commandment? Let's wrap this up. How do we obey this commandment not to covet, which really ultimately impacts all the other, other ones? A couple things, real quick. First way, number 10 on your notes, pursue making Jesus your ultimate treasure by spending regular time with him and with his people. Regular time with him and regular time with people. Now, don't miss this. Spending time with God is an important thing. And we need to be spending time reading his word, taking it in. My life is actually, I want to tell you, my life for, for the, in 57 years old, and I think I'm having the most richest time in the word because I'm not good at reading the Bible, but because I have made myself, I'm going through a read through the Bible one year plan on my YouVersion app. And it takes like 15 minutes a day. So I read it and listen to it at the same time because I'm just that unsmart and I need to have help. So I'm going, I got to tell you, this has been the richest time these last seven, eight months in the word in my life because it's been very focused and I'm asking God to change me as I read that. How do I apply that to my life? And for some reason, about a year ago, I got this message from God saying, I want you to treasure me above all else. And the conviction from that came when I got to be in the word. I have to be in the word. If that's the case, I have to be in the word. I can't, I can't just will this to happen. So let me encourage you. I want to encourage you with that. Not make you feel guilty if you're not doing that, but encourage you. This is what God wants to do. He wants to help you to be content by just feeding on his word. But here's the other one, is being with his people. And I think this is huge. I think we live in such an individualistic society, don't we? Despite this individualistic society and this mindset that we have, the Bible tells us that at our core, we are communal creatures. That's who we are at our core. We are made to be lovers of God and lovers of others. Uh, Scott, I love your shirt. It says, love God and love others. But we can't do that separately. We can't just love God over here and then maybe love others over here. We can't which means we got to be spending time with each other, which means we got to be in community, true community with one another, like family, like we're supposed to be like family. Do you know other believers in this body like family? We should. We should be doing that. 
Despite what we may think, we are not autonomous or independent beings. We are not. We're tempted to think that, but we're not. We are meant to be people in community. And it's out of this communal mindset that we are to build up and encourage one another to be lovers of God and to be lovers of other people, to be on mission, to say that we were told to go and make disciples. To be a disciple and make disciples. Are you becoming more and more a disciple of Jesus? Am I? Are you helping someone else to become a disciple of Jesus? Who are you discipling by just sharing your life with? Maybe even formally, maybe in a discipleship relationship. That's what we're called to. We are called to that. And it's not easy, but that's what we are called to. Second way to obey this commandment, number 11, learn to see all that we have as a gift from God. And it's to be used for kingdom purposes and not solely for our own self-indulgence. Okay? Not solely for our self-indulgence. As the Apostle Paul writes in uh, 2 Corinthians, he says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. The pastor says, come on, give. No, don't give because of that. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all your needs. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. How often do we think, I can't afford to give? Or I can only afford to give this much because that's how it works out on paper. No. That's not... The way of a disciple of Christ, the way a disciple of Christ is, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to determine in my heart as I seek to treasure God, what am I to give? And it might not make any sense, but that's, how, that's what a disciple does. That's what I do. And then he says, I'll have plenty left over to share. That just seems crazy. That's how God works. We are to be generous toward kingdom endeavors and to trust that God will meet all of our needs. Like that verse, seen, we've used it many times in this, in this series. My God will supply every, needs of your, every need of yours according to his riches and glory. And the last one, the third way to obey this commandment is to pray for a deep longing and desire to find contentment in nothing but Jesus. Did you know that when you're struggling with faith, the best thing to do is ask for what? Faith. If you're struggling, whatever you're struggling with, with Jesus, you say, I, I'm, I'm not praying very well. My prayer life isn't very good. Okay, I guess God's not going to answer. No, pray. Ask God. God, help me to pray. <laughs> we were talking about that this morning in the, in the Bible, in the Bible study um, earlier, talking about how if you really think about it, because the Bible says that the Spirit intercedes for us. Dwayne brought this verse up. The Spirit intercedes for us because we don't even know how to pray. Think about it. In some ways, our prayers might just be kind of gibberish to God, but he's fine with that. Ask. Just ask, knowing that he wants to give. So pray. Pray that you will find contentment. Jesus, help me to be content in only you. God, I want to be content in only in your son. That's what I want the most. I don't want to covet. Psalm 119 says this, incline my heart 
to your testimonies or basically your ways and not to selfish gain. That's what the psalmist prayed. I need help. I'm selfish. Help me. Well, this, is a great, this was a really great series. I really enjoyed this. The, remember, we talked about the very beginning. The Ten Commandments were given, us, given to us to show that we can live in freedom, remember? Freedom from the reliance on anything other than a perfect God and a loving God for our security, for our significance, and for our purpose. While at the same time, don't forget this, the Ten Commandments are meant to point us to our desperate need for Jesus. That's what they're meant to do. Point us right to Jesus. I need the power, that resurrection power of Jesus to transform my life so that I can be truly content. All right, a couple questions. Let me ask you. What is it that makes us prone to long for or to compare what we have to what others have? What is it that makes us prone to long for or to compare what we have to what others have? What do you think? Yeah, lack of gratitude. That's a good one. Good one, Wayne. Yeah. What else? Lack of faith. Yes, good. Pride, for sure. Yeah, Nelson. Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, our sin nature just is totally goes against that, doesn't it? Yeah, good. What else? Anything else you can think of? What makes us prone to long for to compare what others have to what we have? Say that again. <laughs> Isn't that, that, that's, that is so true. It is so true. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's so easy for us to think that this is what I have. Once again, it's that C.S. Lewis thing. This is what this is enough. What I've got is enough. Yeah, I, I put down not trusting that God, that knowing God is enough for me to be content. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or your education or your talent or your, yeah, all that. Exactly. No, so, so good. So good. All right. Next question. Um, what are some harmful or destructive desires? We talked about this. He said that it opens a door to. What are some harmful and destructive desires that coveting can open us up to? What do you think? What are some of those that just a, a road that he could send us down? Coveting can send us down. What's that? Yeah. Debt? Yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Bitterness. Bitterness. Oh, yes, definitely. Stealing. Stealing. Yeah, what was that? Self-pity, Self-pity for sure. Malice. Ever felt resentment towards someone that has something that you really wish you had? Yeah. Bitterness. Jealousy. Yeah, we're all just going. (laughs) Yes. Anything else you can think of? Any any other destructive desires? We listed a lot there. All right, let's go to the next one. What are some good and perfect gifts? You have received from the Father of lights. Let's just, let's just, let's just in a way, 
worship God in a sense by just saying, what are some of the things that you in your life, some good and perfect gifts that you receive from the Father? These could be spiritual, non-spiritual, it doesn't matter, but let's just celebrate the good and perfect gifts that God has given you. Let's hear some. What's that? Grandchildren. Amen, brother. Definitely. Definitely. What else? Living in Pacifica. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What else? Music. Music. Yes. Yes. Acceptance and love. Acceptance and love. Yes. Good. Keep coming. Keep coming. This is this. Coffee. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say salvation, but you're okay. Um, <laughs> my wife run are on two different planes right now. That's all right. What else? What else? Come on. What are some good and perfect gifts? that the Father of lights has given us. Shelter and a home. Yes. What else? Hope. Hope. Yes. What else? Work. Yes. A sweet wife. Yes. Keep coming. Keep coming. What's that? Animals. Yes. Yes. Opportunities to serve. Yes. Companionship. Yes. I love it. Beauty all around us. Yes. Intimate. An intimate relationship with God. Yes. Friends. Yes. That he listened, that known that we're being listened to by him. Yes. A couple more. Laughter. Yes. So good. Laughter. Okay. Yeah. Goats. Go. <laughs> All right, now that's a signal to go to the next question for sure. Um, just real quickly, and you might not remember because, you, you know, I don't remember. You know, is there anything that stood out to you specifically from the series on the Ten Commandments? I know it has rocked my world for me personally. Anything, though, for you that has just kind of stood out that would be good for us to hear that this whole series over the last couple months taught. Yes? What you emphasize today is that they all tie together mm. so amazingly. Yes. 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 Freedom. Freedom. Yes. Put up the slide, Phil, of the, the, the slide of the first slide on this, uh, of, of this series, uh, the picture. And uh, it, really, it really is, I like God, this, I stole this off the internet, obviously. But um, this whole idea that the commandments set free I stole. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Covered someone else's artwork. Um, yeah. Ten commandments are set. We're set free to live for. Yeah, so good. Anything else that you've learned through this series at all that would be good for us to hear? Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can't remember if I stole that either. So just so you know, I can't, it was either mine or yeah, but yeah, yes, yes, guardrails for our safety and our to enjoy the freedom of the road. Yes, so good. Yeah, yeah, Mike. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. All sin can stem from idolatry. Yes. Yeah, that's. You should have no other God. I am the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. Yeah, Sue. I, I mean, I think you remember a little part where the, the hand. Yeah, that's. We that and we went home and 
Oh, nice. And, 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 and like, teaching class. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, oh, that's the rest. Yeah. 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 That was Robin's idea. I like the idea. Let's do it. One. What is, okay, you, I, I need help. <laughs> First commandment. I'm the Lord your God. You'll have no other gods before me. Two, wait, wait, remember? It was the second one, bow down. Wait. You was worship, wor- yeah. Shall not worship idols. Number three, take the Lord's name in vain. Four, no. <laughs> Sabbath, yeah, Sabbath, okay. Number fa- five is uh, honor your father and mother. Six was don't kill, don't kill. Uh, seven was adultery, so there's an extra person in there. Eight was steal, steal. Nine was false, don't bear false witness. Someone can't see that one. And ten, don't covet. Awesome. Great job, you guys. Um, if you want to get ready for our next, our next series is going to be the book of Ruth. We're gonna, in a couple weeks, we're going to go through the book of Ruth. So if you want to read up on that, um, that'd be great. It's a great, wonderful, wonderful, touching story, but a great uh, book as well. All right, we're going to go into our time of communion now. Um, and as we do that, um, those that be, there's also going to be a, some people up here that's going to pray uh, for you as well. If you'd like prayer during this communion time, I want to encourage you to come on up and get some prayer. The band is going to come on up, and what they're going to just be is, is playing uh, as you come on up. And take communion. You take your time. Come on up when you're ready. Take it there. Take it back to your seat, however uh, you would prefer. And really just spend some time with the Lord and be thinking back about just how good He is and about treasuring Him and about how He desires to give us contentment more than anything that we could see out there, anything that the world has to offer. Come and pray with Scott and Michelle for how, whatever you ne- might need. Really, let's let's be family together. Let's eat together, in a sense, together. Let's share, like we've shared, how good God is. Let's just spend some time with him.